Adam's Archive. Hello, you beautiful people, and welcome to the Adam's Archive. My name is Austin Adams, and thank you so much for listening today. On today's episode, we are going to be discussing the war that has just broken out between Palestinian terrorist group Hamas and Israel. Now, this has been something that I've been sitting on for a few days. I believe the original attack, which happened at a music festival, happened a little over about five or so days ago now. And I sat and didn't say a word. And the reason that I did that was because so many people were so quick to call for war. So many people were so quick to give a pretty strong position for something that they likely didn't have historical context on. And I didn't want to be one of those people. I was somewhat familiar with this particular situation in Palestine and the difficulty that was going on there for a while due to the um, Israel, basically, um, and we'll get into the context of it, but it, but it, to me, it was, it was a hard topic to discuss because so many people were so emotionally charged. And anytime that you see emotions extremely high after a singular event with very little information coming out and immediate calls for war, you have to stop and think, do we or can we trust the organizations that are giving us this information? Can we trust that the people of influence who are calling for war have our best, best interest in mind, or are they being potentially paid? So when all of that comes up to me, I wasn't educated enough to speak out initially, so I paused. I went dark on social media since this happened until today. And didn't give my opinion that much because it was very heated. But today I will. Today we'll dive into the historical context of the Israeli-Palestinian dispute of territory. We will dive into the religious context of the land that they occupy. We will dive into the current events and the terrorist attacks and the retaliations that are happening between Hamas and Israel. We will address the responses from United States political uh, mainstream politicians and influencers, and we'll question the narrative, as you always should. So today will be a little bit more serious episode, but I appreciate you being here. Uh, I value you more than you ever know. And I hope you realize that I'm not just going to come on here and say whatever whatever I think I should say based on where some people may or may not think I fall within the political spectrum. So you got the wrong guy. All right. So today we're going to jump into the Palestine and Israel war. Let's jump into it.
the Atoms Archive. So if we realized if we realized one thing over the last 4 years, it's that when everybody on social media, everybody on mainstream media, all of the celebrities, all of the political organizations, all of the uh historically corrupt politicians, all of the the same people that were pushing the same things that we knew have been going on for the last four years that were not in our best interest, when all of these people are pushing the same narrative, the same talking points, the same, something should be going on in your head, right? When everybody out there is saying the same thing, ringing the same bell over one to two specific talking points at a singular time, it's time to stop. It's time to question the narrative and it's time to do your due diligence. And that's what I did. Okay. Now where I'm going to start this podcast off is by giving you the historical context and not from myself. I'm actually going to pass the microphone to uh, Lex Friedman, who just dropped a podcast today where he discussed some of the historical context and I want to do this justice. Um, he did a, a podcast that was three hours with Jared Kushner, and they got together, and this was the opening that they had that I thought was pretty concise surrounding what is the actual issues that we are discussing here. All right, so let's go ahead and listen to that, and then we'll walk through some of these articles that I'm seeing or that I pulled up for us here. So here we go. Yes, and now, dear friends, Here's Jared Kushner. Did a lot of this conversation before the Hamas attack on Israel, and we decided to sit down again and finish the discussion to address the current situation, which is still developing. If I may allow me to summarize the situation as it stands today, it's morning, Monday, October 9th. On Saturday, October 7th at 6.30 a.m. Israel time, Hamas fired thousands of rockets into southern Israel. The rocket attack served as cover for a multi-pronged infiltration of Israel territory by over 1,000 Hamas militants. This is shortly after, at 7.40 a.m. The Hamas militants went door-to-door -door in border towns, killing civilians and taking captives, including women and children. In response to this, Israeli Air Force began carrying out strikes in Gaza, also fighting on the ground in Israel to clear out Hamas militants from Israel territory and preparing to mobilize Israeli troops for a potential ground attack on Hamas in Gaza. Now, of course, this is what it appears to be right now, and this, along with other things, might change because the, the situation is still developing. The IDF is ordering civilian residents of Gaza to evacuate their homes for their safety. Benjamin Netanyahu declared war in several statements and warned Israelis to brace themselves for a long and difficult war. Just today, Israeli ministers ordered a, quote, complete siege of Gaza, interrupting supplies of electricity, food, water, and fuel from Israel to Gaza. As of now, October 9th, the death toll is over 1,200 people and over 130 hostages taken to Gaza by Hamas. Uh, so, as I said, the events are rapidly unfolding, so these numbers will sadly increase. Uh, but hopefully our words here can at least in part speak to the the timeless underlying currents of uh, the history 
and uh, as you write about the power dynamics of the region. So for people who don't know, Gaza is a 25 miles long, six miles wide strip of territory along the Mediterranean Sea. It borders Israel on the east and north and Egypt on the southwest. It's densely populated, about 2.3 million people. And there's been a blockade of Gaza by Israel and Egypt since 2007 when Hamas took power. I could just summarize that Hamas is a Palestinian militant group which rules the Gaza Strip. It originated in 1988 and it came to power in Gaza in 2006. As part of its charter, it's sworn to the destruction of Israel and it is designated by the United States, European Union, UK, and of course, Israel as a terrorist group. So given that context, what are your feelings as a human being uh, and what is your analysis as the former senior advisor to the president under the Trump administration of the current situation in Israel and Gaza? So I, I think you did an excellent job of summarizing uh, a lot of the, the context, but watching what's unfolded over the last 48 hours has been truly heartbreaking to see. We're still in the early stages of what's developing, but seeing the images uh, on X of uh, you know, militants, uh, terrorists going door to door with machine guns, gunning down innocent civilians, uh, seeing beheaded Israeli soldiers, seeing uh, young uh, 20 year olds at a rave uh, a dance party to celebrate peace uh, with uh, militants flying in and then you know, shooting machine guns to, to kill people indiscriminately, uh, seeing uh, young children uh, captive and, and held prisoner seeing 80-year-old grandmothers, a Holocaust survivor, also being taken captive. Uh, these are just images and actions that we have not seen in this world since 9-11. Uh, this is a terror attack on the scale of which uh, we have not seen, and it's been incredibly hard for a lot of people to comprehend. Um, my heart goes out, obviously, to uh, all of the, the families of the victims uh, to. So what I'm going to look for here is there's a couple spots within this episode that I believe might be of a bit more value to you before we get uh, into listening to everybody else's opinions. I just want the facts, right? Um, so let's go and jump to 10 minutes and 28 seconds in and see what they have to say about the families of those of who are in power will make the right decisions to paradigm you about the journey towards this historic progress towards peace with the Abraham Accords. But first on this situation to step back and some of the history, uh, is there things about uh, the history of Hamas and Gaza that's important to understand uh, what is happening now? Just your comments, your thoughts, your understanding of Hamas. I, I think you did an excellent job, Lex, of, of really giving the summary. Just a couple things maybe I'll add to it is that Hamas was originally founded uh, from the Muslim Brotherhood in Egypt, uh, which is a group that's caused a lot of issues uh, in the region. Um, they've, uh, they've attacked Israel many times in the past. There's a lot of discussion about how Israel uh, is an occupying power. Well, in Gaza in 2005, they withdrew from all the land, and then they say Israel's an apartheid state. Well, Israel then gave governance of the region to the Palestinians. And then what's happened is, is the Palestinian people's lives have now gone down, not up since then. Uh, I will say that under uh, Hamas's leadership, 
in in Gaza, the people who have suffered the most are the Palestinian people. And I see, I've I've watched cries uh, throughout uh, my time in government from people saying we want to see the Palestinian people live a better life. Uh, I agree with those people. I think that the Palestinian people in Gaza are essentially hostages. In uh, in Gaza, you have basically two point you know two million people that are being held hostage by thirty thousand Hamas uh, terrorists. And that's really the problem. And I would just encourage people to uh, to push their attention and energy in this moment and their anger towards Hamas. Those are the people who are killing innocent civilians, who are uh, murdering indiscriminately. And those are the people who... So you can hear him, almost everything that he's speaking to is emotion. He's not kind of, the, the, again, this is Jared Kushner, not, not speaking to the history, right? He was asked the history... He's not speaking to it. So let's jump over here and let's see how this is summarized, where it says, the region known as Palestine has been inhabited by various people over millennia. By the 1800s and the early 1900s, nationalism grew among both Arab Palestinians and Jews. Jews faced persecution in Europe and saw a homeland leading to the Zionist movement. Many Jews began migrating to Palestine, then part of the Ottoman Empire, and later a British mandate after World War I. The Balfour Declaration, which is very important when we're discussing this, issued by Britain in 1917, expressed support for a national home for the Jewish people in Palestine. This raised concerns among Arab Palestinians about their rights and future in the land. After World War II and the Holocaust, there was increased sympathy for Jewish survivors and greater support for the Jewish state. In 1947, the United Nations approved a partition plan, which proposed dividing Palestine into separate Jewish and Arab states with Jerusalem under international administration. However, tensions escalated, and in 1948, the state of Israel was declared and Arab states intervened in the 1948 Arab-Israeli War ensued. So, Israel expanded its territory beyond the UN partition plan, and hundreds of thousands of Palestinians fled or were expelled from their homes. So, Israel expanded its territory beyond the UN partition plan, and hundreds of thousands of Palestinians fled or were expelled from their homes. That's where it starts to get complicated. Right? Since then, there have been several wars and uprisings. Key events include the 1967 Six-Day War, where Israel captured the West Bank, Gaza Strip, and Sinai Peninsula in Golan Heights. The 1973 Yom Kippur War. Arab states launched an attack on Israel. The 1987 and, 19, or and 2000 Intifadadas, Palestinian uprisings against Israeli occupation, and then in 1993, the Oslo Accords, which was an attempt at peace establishing Palestinian self-governance in parts of the West Bank and Gaza. So the main issues of the conflict include borders and territory, the status of Jerusalem considered holy by Jews, Muslims, and Christians, the rights of Palestinian refugees, Israeli settlements within the West Bank, and security concerns from both sides. So that's a really fundamental 
breakdown. It says attempts at peace have been made, but lasting solutions remain elusive. Both sides have experienced sufferings and losses, and narratives vary based on perspectives. It's a deeply sensitive and multifaceted issue, and we've just scratched the surface. Interesting. So, if we start to break that down, what think the the comparison, right? And this is what what my position at this very point is is specifically to kind of my position is to educate myself, right? Everything that we just talked about there is not something that I remember deeply studying, right? It, it, it's something that is very what people use the word nuanced, which is kind of pissing off the people who are just pro-Israel all the way. Um, but it is nuanced, right? It is a complex issue, and there are valid points to both sides. Essentially, what that explained to you is that the um, within Palestine, their land was taken over and, and declared as Jewish territory by Britain. Then... When Israel became a, into power in 1947, when they approved the partition plan, right, dividing Palestine into separate Jewish and Arab states, Israel started to push that border closer and closer to Palestine and started to continue pushing out Palestinians. And so that's caused a lot of tension, including the four or five things that we just discussed. Now, when we look at both sides of the argument, the Israeli perspective is historical and religious connections. So Jews have an ancient historical and religious connection to the land, dating back thousands of years to biblical times. The Jewish diaspora maintained this connection during their long history of persecution. Now, the next part of that is modern Zionism and right to self-determination, this says. Given centuries of persecution culminating in the Holocaust, many Jews believe in the, necess or the necessity of a Jewish homeland for their safety and self-determination, which, sure, that's a f maybe understandable, but maybe not at the demise of a completely settled culture, potentially, right? It says legal mandates. Supporters point to the Balfour Declaration and the subsequent League of Nations mandate as international recognition of the Jewish right to establish a homeland in Palestine. And then security concerns. Due to hostile neighbors and multiple wars, Israel emphasizes its right to security. This ex includes control over certain territories deemed strategic for defense. And then terrorism. Israelis are concerned about attacks on civilians, rightfully, by Palestinian militant groups, underscoring the need for stringent security measures and military responses. Right, That's where we've started to hear the words open-air prisons consistently regarding Palestine, basically saying that Palestine or the Gaza Strip has walls built around it, not allowing anybody from the Palestinians to exit those walls. They can't leave their 140-mile their strip of land without approval from the Israelis. Or if they try to, apparently there's been many, many responses that were lethal, leading to hundreds if not thousands of deaths over this time period. So these people feel as if they're imprisoned. They feel as if their land is being encroached upon, that they're being forced out of their homes. And that is why you have these radicalized terrorist groups enacting terrorism. So 
when everybody's pushing to say we're pro-Israel or we're pro-Palestine, there's a common denominator that everybody, I believe, agrees on, which is that nobody is pro-Hamas with any sense to them. All of the actions that have happened have been completely and utterly horrible. Now, what we get into and what we will get into a little bit later is that it really breaks down to two main events, some of which I have questions around, but we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's look at the Palestinian perspective. It says, historical and continuous presence. Palestinians emphasize their continuous presence in the regions for centuries in their majority status in modern times prior to the large-scale Jewish immigration of the 20th century. Right? They lived there. They, they, they've been there. Their families, their grandparents, their great-great-great-grandparents all lived in Palestine. And now the Jews were given a piece of paper that says, you can go take over their land. And they didn't like that. It says, Displacement and Nakba, N-A-K-B-A. The 1948 war led to the displacement of hundreds of thousands of Palestinians, known as the Nakba, or catastrophe. Many Palestinians demand the right to return to their homes or compensation. The next point it makes is occupation and human rights. Palestinians oppose Israeli occupation on the West Bank in the blockades of Gaza, viewing them as violations of their rights. They demand statehood based on pre-1967 borders. Okay. East Jerusalem. Palestinians see East Jerusalem captured by Israel in 1967 as the capital of a future Palestinian state and highlight its significance to Muslims and Christians. Now, when people think of Palestine, it's a lot of people are just so specifically associating it with Muslims because of Hamas. But that's not the case. There's, I believe, 20% of the people that live in Gaza are Christians, right? So we have to make that distinction. This is not specifically and only related to religious backgrounds. It also has to do with mostly, according to the Palestinians, territory disputes, right? And the fact that they believe that they've lived there, they've always been there, and you shouldn't just be able to hand a piece of paper to somebody and say, hey, you can go take over their land. It says both narratives have deep emotional, historical, and political elements. Many on both sides seek peace, but the question remains how to reconcile their respective narratives and aspirations. Thank you, ChatGPT. So based on that, now we have some of the historical background when we're talking about Israel and Palestine, right? Which is really what this conversation is about, but maybe it shouldn't be Right? Maybe we're, we're harping too much on those historical backgrounds, and maybe Hamas, who's enacting these horrible, atrocious acts, should just be obliterated off of the face of the earth. Maybe. Now, what I think is a better perspective is understanding that, again, once you realize that when the mainstream media, I'll say it again, the mainstream media, celebrities, Western governments, historically corrupt, consistently war-calling politicians are all saying the same exact thing at the same exact time, all calling for extreme violence from saying there's a good guy and a bad guy, and here's who the bad guy is, and you should absolutely believe this is who the good guy is. Maybe you should question the narratives. Maybe you should sit back before deciding to throw on a 
freaking football jersey and throwing a Ukraine flag on your head or throwing a Palestinian flag on your head or throwing an Israeli flag on your head. As you guys know by now, I am anti-war. I don't believe war has ever done any good for humanity. I think it can be necessary, just like violence is necessary when somebody enacts or, or intends to enact violence against you or somebody that you love. But when we're talking about the military-industrial complex, it's generally not about the surface-level conflict. And that's why when we get into some of the other things that we're going to discuss here, like the very first attack during the assault of Gaza, right, during that that rave, the, the music festival, whatever was happening, when we look at that and we say there was 230 or so people, I believe, was the final number of people who died from that event. Horrific. Terrible. And Hamas was the one who enacted it. But the question that I have is, how many times have we gone into a war under false pretenses? How many times have we seen the news articles saying weapons of mass destruction, right? Even when everybody's comparing this to 9-11, what percentage of the American public looks at 9-11 and puts a big question mark around who enacted that and why, right? We go back to the picture of George Bush throwing the airplane at the Jenga Towers. A lot of people have some questions about 9-11. And a lot of people believe that it may have been an inside job, a false flag conducted on Americans by America or by three-letter agencies or by our government or by the military-industrial complex in order to convince Americans to send their children to die in a war for revenge. So when we look at this singular event, the one that set it all off, the one that we've seen videos of over and over again, 230 people died. But that does not mean that we don't question the narrative. That does not mean that we don't put a question mark around it and maybe sit and wait and ask some questions. Like, who is set to gain from this? Who is responsible for this? And should we immediately... Now, again, this is not sympathizing with Hamas. If you kill innocent civilians, you should die a horrid, long death, especially if they're women and children. So, unequivocally, very clearly, I do not support any of the actions that have happened here. But what I will say is that we should, that doesn't mean that we blindly have faith in the mainstream media that has deceived us over and over and over again over the last 100 years, right? That doesn't mean that we have blind faith in whatever it is that they're telling us just specifically because they pissed us off because America is built off of patriotism and love, right? At least at the civilian level. And 
in understanding that there is good and there is evil in this world. And when there is evil, that it should be destroyed. And I don't disagree with that. But I am going to say that historically, when we go to war, which we very well may very soon, one of my biggest concerns about what's going on in Israel and in Palestine right now is that the U.S. intervention may or may not lead to a act within the United States, either enacted by the terrorist organizations that is enacting them in Palestine and in Israel right now, or potentially by the same people who enacted 9-11 in order to get us to go to war. And I'm not talking about the alleged pilots. I'm talking about the shadowy individuals who potentially crafted those actions behind the scenes in order to convince you and I to go to war. So my concern is, for sure, we very well may have terrorists who crossed our borders while Joe Biden was bumbling and eating ice cream and sniffing young children's hair that are terrorists, that are here today, that are in our communities, that are, that are calling for acts of war against Americans who are sitting, waiting, ready to make their move the second they're called upon to do so. One very valid concern. My second concern is that even if that is not the case, it is so easy to enact one act of terrorism under false pretenses as a false flag to convince you and convince I and convince everyone else in the United States that it is in our best interest to immediately engage in this war. And it doesn't just stop there. The second we step in, Iran will step in, right? Guess who was just having a meeting and exchanging handshakes with China just months ago? Palestine, right? You look at everything that's culminating here, right? You look at the same narrative playing again. That now we very well may be leading ourselves blindly, shouting, asking for a world war, calling for it from the top of our lungs on social media over two events. One being what happened at the music festival and two, under the fog of war, we have had articles that have come out saying, well, and let's, let's go back. Let's go back to one. One being what happened at the music festival. Now, the Times of Israel said that an Egypt spy chief warned Netanyahu of the Gaza assault and was ignored. Now, the prime minister is actively denying that, but it says Abbas Kemal, the powerful head of Egyptian intelligence, warned Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu 10 days before the attack, Yunet reports. Kemal, or Kamel, K-A-M-E-L, warned Israel that something unusual, a terrible operation, was about to take place around Gaza. Kamel said reportedly aghast at Netanyahu's passivity upon hearing the report. And there was a second article 
that came out that says Egypt, Egypt intelligence official says Israel ignored repeated warnings of something big. Cairo official says Israel focused on West Bank instead of Gaza. Egypt's spy chief said to warn prime minister of terrible operation. So there's your first one. Now there's questions about that, right? We question the false flag narrative. Now I threw out some, some uh, polls today on Instagram and I'll kind of walk you through what those results were. My phone's dead. So I, I let's see if I can pull it up here actually. Um, what, what I asked people was whether or not, yeah, it's gone. Um, what, what I asked people first was, do you have a strong opinion? Do you have a strong opinion in this war about one side or the other? Right? What I'm trying to gauge there is, is how many people are, are pro this or pro that, right? How many people have a horse in the game? How many people are wearing a jersey? I believe it was a little bit over 50%. So they had a strong opinion one way or the other about the war. The next question I asked was, are you pro-Israel? Are you pro-Palestine? Or if you answer no to the above two, are you simply anti-Hamas? And then are you something else? None of the above. The overwhelming majority, well, it was about 38% said they were pro-Israel. Only about 4% of people said they were pro-Palestine. 32% of people said they were anti-Hamas and did not identify as pro-Israel. And then another 30%, or whatever the math is there, identified as none of the above, which I found to be interesting, right? Because that's my position. I am not pro-Israel. I believe that there is certain specific aspects of this that should be addressed. I don't think the right way to address those things is by killing innocent civilians, um, like Hamas is doing, but that doesn't mean that I'm I'm pro the the, the I, I'm not taking a side in in the overall underarching issue here. I will absolutely condemn people at committing acts of terrorism, but I fall into that category. I'm not pro Israel. Again, I'll say that I am not pro Israel. I'm not pro Palestine. What I am is anti terrorism. What I am is pro-questioning narratives. What I am is pro-shutting up, being quiet, and letting things play out so that we can get out of the fog of war. Because as we know from Ukraine and Russia, how many articles, how many claims, how many videos ended up being video game footage? It's like, how much propaganda will the war machine push out in order to convince you to beat the war drum and call your children to war? to enable them to enact a false flag on our own soil, to convince you that it's in our best interest to either spend our tax money or spend our children's blood to go to war with a country 7,000 miles away from us over a territory dispute that we have nothing to do with. They are playing all of our emotions. That is my position, and I won't allow it. I will However, say that the acts, if true, and if not conducted under false pretenses or under a false flag or under propaganda, are true in the way that they are saying, then yeah, absolutely, obliterate a terrorist organization, all for it. 
But I'm not going to say in this territory dispute that I'm pro-Israel. I'm not going to say in this territory dispute that I'm pro-Palestine. And a good way that I've heard this, uh, a good correlation to this, not a correlation, but a good analogy, was when it comes to uh, the Native Americans and, and the English settlers, right? It's like, if England shows up on your shores and decides to take over all of your land and you're a Native American and shove you into these small little settlements with people with machine guns standing around it saying you can't leave and also we control your gas, electricity, and water consumption. And then those Indians being somewhat savage, go and start scalping people as a response. It's like, yeah, maybe don't scalp people. But also, maybe don't overthrow people from the land that they've lived on forever and expect no response. It's like there's no good position within the, like, yeah, don't behead people, don't commit acts of terrorism, don't kill civilians and rape women. And also... Don't displace massive populations via force and imprison them in small locations and expect them not to respond. And that's just such a controversial position to hold right now. And again, I'm open to being wrong. I've been wrong before. You guys know it. And I'll tell you when I'm wrong. But right now, I just, in this territory dispute, in this religious dispute, whether you're on the, the Jewish side and you say it's a religious biblical conversation or dispute and you're on the Palestinian side and saying, Hey dude, I've just fucking lived here for 400 years, a thousand years. Maybe don't throw me out of my house. It's like, it's all bad. None of it is good. Now it's really not good to commit acts of terrorism. But again, then you have to go back to questioning the narrative because why now why now is everybody deciding that today is the day that we just accept wholeheartedly everything that is coming out of the mainstream media? Well, CNN said it, so we must be true. Fox News said it, so it must be true. It's like, why now? Why are we deciding today that everything that they say is true when just three weeks ago, two weeks ago, everything they said was believed to be bullshit? Why are we not questioning narratives when we're being literally emotionally manipulated at the most fundamental and primal level trying to say that, you know, they're doing this to children and this to women and this to, you know, it's like, yeah, if they are doing that, I agree. Blow them off the face of the earth. As long as you're not also killing women and children in the process. But if we know anything, it's that the media lies. Influencers try to influence and Nobody knows what the fuck they're talking about, usually, right? So that gets me to the next story. The next story being the, what came out a day or two ago, there was a journalist who said that when she was leaving an area, and I'll get you the name of her, because um, I had her pulled up here. Um, her name is, let's see. Hmm, her name Nicole Zedek, Z-E-D-E-K, for I-24 News. Now, what she reported 
is that there was 40, di- 40 babies had been found in Kafar Aza, and some had been beheaded. It's not a war. It's not a battlefield. You see the babies, the mother, the father in their bedrooms, in their protection rooms, and how the terrorists killed them. It's a massacre, said the IDF Major General Atia Varuv, who told the outlet at the time the bodies were discovered. Now, Nicole Zadek claims that they chopped the heads off of children and women, and that comes from somebody who said, or sorry, that was David Ben Zion. She allegedly, Nicole, overheard somebody, a soldier, saying that that's what happened. Now, it doesn't sound like she saw it for herself, and she's been constantly questioned about this. Now, the reason, and you're like, oh my gosh, how could you question this horrific act? It's like, again, this isn't a new playbook, right? You go all the way back to George Bush and and getting us into the Gulf War, I believe it was, right? The incubator babies, right? Here's a clip that I found on that. If you don't recall that, here it is from 15 years ago. August 2nd, 1990, Iraq attacks Kuwait, claiming the Kuwaitis are slant drilling into Iraq's oil fields. U.S. President George Herbert Walker Bush pushes for a land war against Iraq. But polls show the U.S. public is split 50-50 on that idea. Then comes this eyewitness testimony before a congressional committee from a 15-year-old Kuwaiti girl. The claim is she cannot be identified for fear of reprisals. While I was there, I saw the Iraqi soldiers come into the hospital with guns. They took the babies out of the incubators, took the incubators and left the children to die on the cold floor. The U.S. public is outraged. The result? Support for land war zooms. It's a turning point. Desert Storm is launched. 135,000 Iraqis are killed. An estimated 1 million Iraqis, many of them children and old people, then die as a result of 10 years of sanctions. One small problem. There never were any incubator baby deaths, not one. The Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's investigative flagship program, The Fifth Estate, reveals the girl to be the Kuwaiti ambassador's daughter given her lines and coached in acting by the giant American PR firm Hill & Knowlton. It's one phase in a $10 million joint U.S.-Kuwaiti campaign of deception. This man is lying. I myself buried 14 newborn babies that had been taken from their incubators. This man is lying. They had kids in incubators and they were thrown out of the incubators so that Kuwait could be systematically dismantled. There were a lot of people who participated in a conspiracy, yes, an out-and-out conspiracy, of fake organizations, false documents, fraud, and disinformation. So, if a new man named Bush is in the White House and helps engineer a brazen deception in order to achieve global geopolitical goals, as well as domestic and personal ones, it wouldn't be a first, would it? Great question. 
It wouldn't be a first, would it? Hmm. So when you understand that that was all built off of a lie, it starts to make the narratives that we're seeing look a lot like a playbook of what went on to get us into previous wars with similar types of organizations. So when I'm saying question everything, I'm not saying that these things aren't true. I'm not saying there's no possibility because there's horrible people who do horrible things and we've talked about them before, right? They usually just wear suits and not, uh, you know, garbs. But um, however, the point in this is that don't just run blindly and call for war from the United States, right? There was the one of the polls that I did was, do you believe that the United States will go to war to help Israel? There was between, I put it as zero, 25%, 50%, and then 100% likelihood. 64% of people said 100%. 27 or something like that said 50%. It was like 12% said 0%. Um, so more than 80% of people think that we're going to get pulled into this war. Now, with the second question I asked on the back of that one was, do you think the United States should go to war? 90% of people answered, absolutely not. 80% of people believe that we will go to war. 90% of people believe that we shouldn't. And you have to realize the power of storytelling, right? When, when they weaponize these types of stories, these outrage stories against you and against I, and build these narratives and have these excitable, enticing politicians telling these stories, you have to still, even under the emotions, even under the frustration, even under every bit of me that would love to just rip apart whoever would do that to a child, every fiber of my being, I would love nothing more than to be locked in a room with somebody who did that to a baby and see what I could do to them. Every part of me. But again, that doesn't mean that we don't have to have a level of skepticism and level-headedness. We're really starting to see shifting or, or sifting through the, the influencers and narratives who is blindly going to follow the machine and who's going to at least continue their skepticism when it's our, the, the, you know, I say our side, you shouldn't have a side. When it's not the extreme liberal left pushing the narratives, when it's the conservative right, when it's the the libertarian party, when it's the you know when it's the people right of center, who are starting to bang this war drum, it's amazing to me how many conservatives were anti-war for the last seven eight years, and all of a sudden are calling for women and children to to or are calling for the men and the women of our country to go to war on behalf of Israel immediately without any confirmation of the atrocious acts that are being peddled as these stories, right? So quick to call for war, so quick to, to say that we should be backing Israel, so quick to say that, yes, send our military operators over there to do what they do best. There is a profitable machine, a highly 
profitable machine behind war. And allegedly, some of the congressmen were investing in war stocks just prior to this breaking out. Hmm, that's interesting. So, here is the woman on Buck, Clay and Buck show, discussing this skepticism around the babies. Now, now another layer of my skepticism around this baby decapitation situation is the fact that Netanyahu came out and said that they were beheading soldiers today. If it was completely confirmed 100% with validated evidence that this happened, why would he not also say that about the children, the babies, the toddlers that they're talking about here? Because all it does is add to his agenda. So if that is not true, or at the very least, it has not been completely confirmed with evidence outside of these one to two decently far left reporters, um, why why would he not say that? So to me, that just adds another layer of skepticism around this story. Now, again, I, I can't tell you. I, I, I'm not just going to I'm not going to continue backpedaling. You already know my position. It's horrible. It's terrible if it's true. But ask questions. That's my whole position on this entire thing. Right. And again, if these terrorists are, are doing these things, yeah, destroy them. But that doesn't mean that Israel is right in this land dispute. And it doesn't mean that Palestine is right. It's it's just too complicated. And I'm not the guy to solve that for you, right? And honestly, I'm not the guy to give you the full history on all of this. There's other podcasts that you can listen to that are much more suited to that than I am. But um, what I will tell you from a normal guy's perspective who likes to maybe take a level-headed approach to crazy issues like this is that always have a level of skepticism when it comes to calling for war because there's so much money and it's usually not from one of the sides that's fighting it. These are bankers' wars. And there's actually a, a, a great breakdown of the bankers' wars. Um, let's see if we can find any of these. It says, all, are all wars bankers' wars? I believe there's a long, uh, long discussion uh, about this from a, let's see if I can find it. Hmm. There was a good Instagram called Truth, uh, Truth Behold or something like that, that posted all the parts of it. Um, but I'll, I'll find it and I'll, I'll post it somewhere for you guys. Uh, but it's called Banker's Wars. And uh, I believe it's some sort of documentary for you. So hopefully that helps. Um, but all wars are banker's wars is essentially the idea. All wars, when we talk about the, the, the elite banking families of the world, the people that own the Raytheons, the Blackrocks, the Vanguards, they own all of it. These elite bankers, you know their names by now if you're listening to this. Now, there was even a, a more interesting uh, post on Instagram that I saw somebody post, which related uh, Palestine, or I'm sorry, Israel, to the Rothschilds family, which said, let's see here if I can get it. 
Here it is. It said, Baron Edmund de Rothschilds, the scion of the Rothschilds family, is the biggest individual stockholder in the Israel Corporation, which has invested roughly half of his $10 million overall in the state. After Edmund's death, his sons James de Rothschilds instructed PICA to transfer most of its land in Israel to the Jewish National Fund, and on December 31, 1958, PICA agreed to vest its rights to land holdings in Syria and Lebanon to the state of Israel. After Baron de Hirsch died in 1896, the Hirsch-founded Jewish Colonization Association, ICA, started supporting the settlement of Palestine, and Baron Rothschilds took an active role in the organization and transferred his Palestinian land holdings as well as 15 million francs to it. In 1970, Bank Kalal, a Rothschilds family business in Israel, increased its business volume by 80% to the amount of 137 million Aira, however you pronounce their finances. Um, so, very interesting. Uh, another report that comes from finbold.com says that members of Congress purchased war stocks ahead of the Hamas attack in Israel. Another post that I found interesting. This was by That Patriot Mom on Instagram, stated, problem, reaction, solution, round and round like a hamster wheel. This is the oldest trick in the book into manipulating the masses. There is a reason we are funding both sides of this conflict. And I'll continue with that post in a second because she did a great job. We funded this. We gave Iran $6 billion dollars. Right? You want to talk about problems that we should be solving? The problems that we should be solving are not 7,000 miles away from here. The problems that we should be solving are at our borders, maintaining border security so that terrorists don't come here and do the things that these news companies are saying they're doing there. The problems that we should be solving here is the fact that Joe Biden gave $6 billion to Iran, which essentially funded this terrorist campaign in a prisoner swap, which they gave us no money and an equal amount of prisoners, right? I'm pretty sure I played that clip here. The problems that we should be solving is the fact that we funded and basically essentially created Hamas, just like we did ISIS, just like we did basically all of the other terrorist organizations to go against the larger enemies that we have. In fact, there was a, let me pull this article up for you guys. An ex-CIA analyst, and this comes from RT.com, an ex-CIA analyst said 100% he is sure that Hamas is using U.S.-supplied weapons. Again, one more time for you. Ex-CIA analyst is 100% sure that Hamas is using U.S.-supplied weapons says Washington is expected to prioritize aid to Israel and put conditions on continued funding in Ukraine. Now, I saw a meme that had rockets shooting up from one side and rockets shooting up from the other side, and it said U.S. taxpayers and U.S. taxpayers, right? We are literally funding both sides of this war, and there's certain organizations and corporations who put our politicians into power who are profiting off of it. So when you look at a casualty rate of 230 people, 230 people dying for a corporation to make tens, if not 
hundreds of billions of dollars of your tax dollars or the 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 silent tax dollars which is inflation over time because the fed are, the fed prints money in order to fund these things cuz we owe money we don't have any money right so it says hamas is using us supplied weapons to attack israel even and I'll pull this up for you um, Hamas is using U.S. supplied weapons to attack Israel, even as Washington prepares to step up military aid to West Jerusalem, former CIA analyst Larry Johnson told RT on Monday. He said, It's probably 100% sure that the weapons were supplied by the United States, Johnson opined. Opined? O-P-I-N-E-D. Interesting. Is that the act of having an opinion? Huh. New word every day. And you guys are along for the ride to see how much of an idiot I am. <laughs> Explaining that the only question was whether the Palestinian government's or militant group's weapons had come from U.S. supplies diverted from Ukraine, Afghanistan, or the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. Noting there were no effective controls on the billions of dollars of arms and military financing funnel funneled from the U.S. to Ukraine in the last two years, Johnson observed that even weapons supplied by Israel to Ukraine might have made it back to Hamas via the black market, suggesting the war unfolding in, in Gaza will tell us how extensive some of these weapons supplies have been. Huh. Says the... Conflict will also force a reevaluation of Washington's blank check to Ukraine. The ex-analyst predicted Congress is going to insist that Israel gets put at the front of the line and that Ukraine's going to go to the back of the line. It's also going to embolden and make happen inspections and accounting in order to deliver to allow Ukraine to have any more weapons. Now, that's interesting, right? It's like as soon as the money tree starts to dwindle for Ukraine, all of the sudden this massive war breaks out overseas. And just a fun fact for you, just one fun fact for you, is that since World War II, we have funded Israel more than any other country in the world to the amount of $158 billion total. Fun fact for you. All right, let's see what else that we got here in some of these files I pulled up. Let's let's finish her, her, her comment there. It says, this letter written in on 8... 15 of 1871 from high-ranking Freemason Albert Pike outlined three world wars that would usher in the new world order. It is debated whether or not this letter actually existed, but considering how accurate it seems to be, I will just put it out there for you to read and use your own discernment. The First World War might or must be brought about in order to permit the Illuminati to overthrow the power of the czars in Russia and of making that country a fortress of aesthetic communism. The divergences caused by the agentur or the agents of the Illuminati between the British and Germanic empires will be used to foment this war. At the end of the war, communism will be built and used in order to destroy the other governments and in order to weaken the religions. The Second World War must be fermented by talking or taking advantage of the differences between the fascists and the political Zionists. This war must be brought about so that Nazism is destroyed and that the political Zionism be brought enough to institute a sovereign state of Israel and Palestine. During the Second World War, which is exactly what happened, by the way, during the Second World War, international communism must become strong enough in order to balance Christ Christendom, which 
would then be restrained and held in check until the time when we would need it to be the final social cataclysm. Hmm. The Third World War is the plan to bring Satanism into the mainstream and is detailed in my slides. Let's find that full letter. It says 815, 1871, Albert Pike. I bet you we can find it. 815... 1871, Albert Pike. All right. Here we go. Here is the letter. And it's coming from lightshipministries.org. And so it says, it seems that the New World Order uh, starts when people lose confidence in governments. It is the feet of iron and clay, as in the book of Daniel and Revelation 7-18, and unfold, or 7 into 18, unfolding before our eyes. Hmm. Interesting. For a short time, this letter was on display in the British Museum Library in London, and it was copied by William Guy Carr, former intelligence officer in the Royal Canadian Navy. And it reads what we just read about the First World War, right? Was that it was um, to permit the Illuminati to overthrow the power of the czars in Russia and making a, that country a fortress of aesthetic communism. Check. Um, the divergences caused the agentur of the Illuminati between the British and Germanic empires will be used to foment the war. Check. At the end of the war, communism will be built and used in order to destroy the other governments in order to weaken the religions. So students of history will recognize the political alliances of England on one side and Germany on the other forged between 1871 and 1898 by Otto von Bismarck, co-conspirator of Albert, Albert Pike, were instrumental in bringing the First World War. Okay, we talked about the Second World War, which says that after the Second World War, communism was made strong enough to begin taking over weaker governments. In 1945, at the Potsdam Conference between Truman, Churchill, and Stalin, a large portion of Europe was simply handed over to Russia. And on the other side of the world, the aftermath of the war with Japan helped to sweep the tide of communism into China. Now, here's where it says the Third World War. The Third World War, according to this Illuminati Nostradamus in 1871 says the Third World War must be fomented by taking advantage of the differences caused by the agent tour of the Illuminati between the political Zionists and the leaders of the Islamic world. The war must be conducted in such a way that Islam and political Zionism, right, Islam being the modern Muslim Arabic world and Zionism being the state of Israel, mutually destroy each other. Meanwhile, the other nations, once more divided on this issue, will be constrained to fight to the point of complete physical, moral, spiritual, and economical exhaustion. We shall unleash the nihilists and the atheists, and we shall provoke a formidable social cataclysm, which, in all its honor, will show clearly to the nations that the effect of absolute atheism, origin of savagery, and of the most bloody turmoil then everywhere the citizens obliged to defend themselves against the world minority of revolutionaries will exterminate those destroyers of civilization and the multitude disillusioned with Christianity whose deistic spirits will from that moment be without compass or direction, anxious for an ideal, but without knowing where to render its adoration, will receive the true light through the universal manifestation of the pure doctrine 
of Lucifer, brought finally out in the public view. This manifestation will result from the general reactionary movement, which will follow the destruction of Christianity and atheism, both conquered and exterminated at the same time. Interesting. So since the terrorist attacks of September 11, 2001, world events in the Middle East show a growing unrest and instability between Jews and Arabs. This is completely in line with the call for a third world war to be fought between the two and their allies on both sides. This third world war is still to come and recent events show us that this is not off. Hmm. I wonder when this article was written. Well, as before 2018, this was written in 2016, this article talking about this. Wow. Hmm. Very interesting. I want to see if we can get a copy of this full writing because that would be interesting. So one website that this is pointing to is threeworldwars.com. And it says three world wars, tracking the progress of the planned three world wars. I wonder when this was last updated because it looks pretty damn old. And it looks like some shitty website that you probably should question. (laughs) However, that doesn't take away from the validity that this person's essentially figuring out exactly what they were going to do almost 10 years ago now, right? Seven years ago. Hmm. An introduction introduction to conspiratorial history, Albert Pike's plan for World War III. Yeah, this website's not good at all. <laughs> um, let's look and see if we have, if maybe if it at least has the documents. Yeah, this looks better over here a little bit. Um, threeworldwars.com slash albert-pike2. Um, and this says, continue from uh, part one, who was Albert Pike? So he should just be Albert Pike slash albert-pike. It says, very few outsiders know about the intimate plans of Albert Pike and the architects of the New World Order. In the 19th century, Albert Pike established a framework for bringing in the New World Order based on a vision revealed to him. Albert Pike wrote a blueprint of events that would play themselves out in the 20th century with even more of these events yet to come. It is the blueprint for which we believe unseen leaders are following today, knowingly or not, to engineer the the planned third and final world war. Albert Pike was born on December 29, 1809 in Boston and was the oldest of six children born to Benjamin and Sarah Andrews Pike. See how long this is. Okay, I won't make you guys read it yourself. (laughs) That's not too long. Um, Let's see. Is there anything of value in here? Uh, He studied at Harvard and later served as a brigadier general of the Confederate Army after the Civil War. Pike was found guilty of treason and jailed, only to be pardoned by fellow Freemason President Andrew Jackson. Interesting. So there's evidence. In 
April 22nd, 1866, who met with him the day the next day at the White House. On June 20th, 1867, Scottish Rite officials conferred upon Johnson the 4th and 32nd Freemasonry degrees, and he later went to Boston to dedicate a Masonic temple. Pike was said to be a genius, able to write, read and write in 16 different languages, although I cannot find a record anywhere of what those languages were. In addition, he is widely accused of plagiarism, so to take a pinch, so take that with a pinch of salt. At various stages of his life, he was a poet, philosopher, frontiersman, soldier, humanitarian, and philanthropist. A 33-degree Mason, he was one of the founding fathers and head of the ancient accepted Scottish Rite of Freemasonry, being the Grand Commander of North American Freemasonry from 1859 and retained that position until his death in 1891. In 1869, he was a top leader in the Knights of the Ku Klux Klan. Wow. Now, what you have to know about this is all of it can be like they have all of these logs from all the Freemasons um, that kind of like outlines who did what when. So there there is ways to corroborate this evidence. Incidentally, Freemasonry itself was a fascinating subject, and I could devote an entire website to that. Right. Okay. Thank you. Pike was said to be a Satanist who indulged in the occult, and he apparently possessed a bracelet which he used to summon Lucifer, with whom he had a constant communication. He was the Grand Master of a Luciferian group known as the Order of the Palladium, or Sovereign Council of Wisdom, which had been founded in Paris in 1737. Uh, Paladism, P-A-L-L-A-D-I-S-M, Paladism, has been brought to Greece from Egypt by Pythagoras in the 5th century. Interesting. And it was the cult of Satan that was introduced to the inner circle of the Masonic lodges. It was aligned with the Palladium of the Templars. In 1801, Isaac Long, a Jew, brought a statue of Baphomet, or Satan, to Charleston, South Carolina, where he helped to establish the ancient and accepted Scottish Rite. Long apparently chose Charleston because it was geographically located on the 33rd parallel of latitude. Incidentally, so is Baghdad, and this council is considered to be the mother supreme council of all Masonic lodges in the world. Hmm. Interesting. There's a monument. A Confederate brigadier general as a lawyer, writer. Hmm. Let's see if there's a monument somewhere for him. The, sta- the statue stands on a pedestal near the foot of Capitol Hill between the Department of Labor building and the Municipal building. Hmm. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Lots more to be read there. However, so there's the Third World War letter that breaks down exactly saying that it's going to be caused in this exact manner. That's pretty wild. I haven't read up on that at all. So maybe I'll have to do a little bit more due diligence and then come back to you guys with some better context on that. Uh, now, if you recall, there was a there was a video of a girl that was put in the back of a truck. She was being it was said that she was allegedly dead and that she was all these horrible things. And um, actually, there was something that came out that she is alive in a Gaza hospital. Uh, so more propaganda there that comes from Jake Shields, Jiu Jitsu and MMA guy. Um, this is another one. Uh, yes, and that talks about basically what I showed you guys before getting us into the Gulf War. Um, so if we go to Ground News. Now, Ground News is probably my favorite news articles now, uh, which is saying that 
the person who came out with that story about the beheadings, that guy that I mentioned earlier, is also somebody who had been accused of some... So it says that guy, David Ben Zion, it says after, an, again, here's uh, ground news, um, but it says after an Israeli reserve soldier named David Ben Zion told a reporter of Palestinian militants cut off heads of babies, Biden, Netanyahu, and the international media amplified the dubious claim. The Greystone has identified Ben Zion as a fanatical leader who incited riots by demanding a Palestinian town be wiped out. An international outcry erupted when Israel's foreign ministry announced that Palestinian uh, militants had uh, from the besieged Gaza. That's not the full article. But essentially, that's what they're saying, is that he incited a bunch of riots about Palestine prior to this. Um, so again, you, you have to question the narratives. And, and that's, that's the moral of the story here, guys. I, I'm not going to be able to wrap up this whole thing for you in a bow and tell you everything's going to work out. And, and I'm not going to tell you that I'm right about everything. But what I am telling you is that you should be questioned. You should be questioning everything that's coming out right now. You should not blindly follow any major news media coverage. You should be asking and waiting. And if these things are true and if these people are conducting these acts, I hope they die a horrible death. But that still doesn't mean the underlying conflict should have you immediately throwing on a jersey and waving an Israel flag outside of your house. I still think that there's bigger problems that we have to solve here today and that we shouldn't be calling for our children to go to war over this because hopefully what that Albert Pike guy said is not true. But if it is, this could lead to a horrific worldwide conflict. And I hope I'm wrong, but it just seems like everything is working in that direction right now. All right, guys, thank you so much for letting me vent to you. I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. Stay safe out there. That's one thing that I would say is just be ready because some shit could happen at any time. Hamas just called for a worldwide jihad on Friday. Um, we have, you know, there's a bunch of people doing pro-Palestine uh, things in some city in Michigan called Dearborn. Um, stay vigilant. Keep a gun on you know how to use it, protect yourself, protect your family, right? Things are getting weird and they're just getting even, even worse, right? So again, love you guys. I appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. Have a wonderful day.